I'm Chip Freud, and this is the Artist Spotlight, conversations with contemporary artists based on five simple questions that explore the artist's journey, creativity, and sources of inspiration. Welcome to another episode of the Artist Spotlight podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jim All. Jim is a potter based in Washington State. He also happens to be a member of our extended family, my wife's cousin. So full disclosure, uh, to get that out on the table. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chip. Good to be here. Well, why don't we start off with you sharing with your audience a little bit of uh, what you're up to, uh, any big projects or anything that's uh, currently brewing? Not any huge projects. I do have a show this weekend. There I'm doing a Christmas bazaar at one of the local assisted living facilities, a place where I actually used to work and I've been back there every year, every year since I've left. They do a great job over there. I've basically spent the last better part of the last year trying to figure out where I'm going. I um I make mostly functional pottery. I mean, you know, cups and plates and bowls and things you would find in everybody's kitchen. And I sort of wanted to branch out into a little bit more artistic aspect of that. So I was working with different shapes, different colors, different, uh, adding different textures, uh, different techniques. And I sort of ended up back where I started with a couple of more tools in the toolbox, but I found out over the course of a lot of experimentation and time that I'm not an artist, I'm a craftsman. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, I make things that people use. Well, there's nothing wrong with functional art in my opinion, so. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, the, uh, the first question we kick off with is, what is your earliest memory of making art of any kind? That's an interesting question because I was never, growing up, I was never an artist. I come from a family of musicians. My grandmother was a musician. My uncles were all musicians. My parents were musicians. My brothers are musicians. Um, so music was more it than, it than anything artistic. My dad is, was a cartoonist, but you know, for his own amusement, not for anything professional. My youngest brother took that over as the, the family's resident cartoonist, and he actually works at it from time to time. He does a lot of uh, political style cartoons for his local independent paper and has done uh, several strips, illustrating a strip for a writer who does not draw. So, but... um. Yeah, really, there wasn't that much in the way of art around the house, more music. Okay, okay. Well, but still creative energy flowing. Creative, yeah, definitely a creative family. What inspires your work? You know, what uh, what drives the choice of shape and color and form? Well, function, obviously. I mean, if you make a pitcher, you want it to pour, but you also want it to look nice sitting on someone's shelf when it's not pouring. So you got to... Think about, you know, the relationship of the shape of the handle to the curve of the pot to the opening of the spout, that sort of thing. You got to make it all sort of homogenous. Um, things that I that I use, I mean, like a coffee cup, it's got to have a comfortable handle. 
Also, it's got to match the, the, the handle's got to match the shape of the cup or else it sort of looks out of place, but it's, it's got to feel good in your hand. And I know a lot of people buy things that way. They go to somebody's display at a farmer's market or a craft show or something like that. And they pick up every mug until they find one feels right in their hands. So I, I have a variety of similar shapes just for that reason. I, I'm not someone who will go out and knock out 50 mugs and I want them all to be exactly the same shape, uh, the same height, the same width, the same handle style. Everything is similar, but more sort of a variety. So a lot of different people can pick it up and find the one that works for them. Because I mean, the coffee cup's kind of a personal thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm using a cup right now, actually, that's not mine. This was made by a local potter. His name is Ian, and I can't remember his last name because it's Polish and it's about 47 letters <laughs> long. And I never learned how to pronounce it correctly. But he's a, he's a local, I was going to say kid. He's probably 30-something. For, that for me is a kid. But uh, he uh, he's a very unique artist. I mean, you can see this cup here. It's it's just got this kind of bizarre design on it and and lumpy and it's really perfect for a cup of tea and it fits nicely in my hand. But I mostly use my own, of course, because I got plenty of those lying around. <laughs> but I, I do tend to, when I do a show and there's another potter there, I will, will quite often swap mugs. And that's how I got that one I just showed you. He liked one of mine. I liked one of his. It was a handshake deal and done. And I've gotten quite a few of my the cups that I have in my kitchen covered that way. And, and, you know, basically it's, I want it to look pretty, but I also want it to be very functional. I mean, the plates I make have a bit of a lip to them so you can push your food up against it and then it's not coming off the edge and you can get everything off your plate without getting your fingers in there. That's sort of, that's sort of the driving force of it all. Is there a certain um, colors in your, your palette of uh, glazes that you go to more often than not? I have experimented with quite a few over the years, trying to find the ones that A, I like, and B, work with the clay. Clay and glaze have can have different shrink rates. Mm. And if your clay shrinks a certain amount and your glaze doesn't, it'll just crack. Or it will, if, it's, if it doesn't shrink as much, it will crack. And if it shrinks too much, it will shatter the, the pot. So you got to experiment with fit. Colors, I like sort of nature-inspired colors, things that you would find. I mean, I have, have a couple examples here, just like a nice cup here. It's, it's blue and white, but it kind of reminds me of being at the ocean. It's got that kind of nice oceany, lakey, cloudy type of feel. I have experimented with some success with having two colors on a pot. And that was sort of inspired by, you remember the the cars back in the 50s, the the old Chevys and old Fords, they were all two-toned. Two-toned, yeah. It was like, you know, white and red or brown and yellow or something like that. And I found a couple of nice combinations of colors like that, that just sort of work, work well together. And sometimes it'll be just the inside is one and the outside is the other, or it'll be half and half on the outside. Just... um 
I like that turquoise blue I showed you. There's a nice coppery kind of orange that mm. I have there. I don't know if it's really picking up the colors there in the and again with the white liner. And things that go well together. And these these have the nice little effect there that when they come together, they make a nice little black line, mm. completely unintentional, but it divides it and gives it a little bit more eye-catching appeal. I was and still am actually we went to Greece last year and we went through a lot of um, old pottery museums or old museums that had pottery in them in, in Athens and in Crete. And um, I ended up with a couple of pots that just sort of popped out that looked very mm. Greek. Yep. So, <laughs> so, you know, shape shapes that I see will inspire me. And sometimes without even my knowing it, I'll see something and like, Oh, wait a minute. I saw that six months ago and I didn't really even realize I was leaning toward that direction. And then sometimes they just, they do what they want to do. I, I try to come in with an idea, but every once in a while the clay has another idea and it oh, I didn't want to do that. So let's see where it's going. Now you got to listen to your, uh, your media as you're working. Yeah. Cause some, sometimes you can make it do exactly what you want and some days you can't. <laughs> And sometimes if you don't know exactly what you want, it'll take you in a whole new direction. I mean, I've had, you know, cups become bowls, Bowl, bowls become pitchers, you know, something will become a plate. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. As, um, and it's this sort of dovetails in a sense into the next question. What advice would you give a, an artist or craftsperson starting out? How, what's the best way to put this? Um, I've talked to several older potters, you know, professional potters from around the world. And they say, throw away the first thousand pots you make <laughs> um, because they won't be any good. Even if you start liking them, cut them open, take a look, see how even they are, see how thick they are, see how graceful they are, then throw them back in the heap and start again. And then you might start keeping one or two here and there. And I, I sort of went the opposite route at the beginning. I, you know, started off in local community clay classes and you're sort of encouraged to keep everything you make. So I had a whole lot of ugly old fat bottom pots that were purged quite a while back, but I, I, I become progressively picky and I'd also say, you know, learn as much as you can. There's so much to learn about this. There's the different types of clay. There's different firing methods. There's different glazing techniques. There's different uses. There's, oh, just glaze. You can get into the, I make my own glazes. You can, you know, you can buy them off the shelf at your local supply and they're beautiful and nice and everything like that, but they're also really expensive. So whereas I can take, and make five gallons of a glaze for what it probably costs to buy a gallon of glaze. Mm. And then you have to understand the chemistry because you have to have the basic things that make it glaze. You have to have some sort of glass forming material like silica. You have to have something that makes it melt, you know, a flux that makes it melt at a certain temperature because there's various people fire at very low I fire in more of a medium range and there's people who fire very high temperatures. 
uh, for various reasons. I mean, everybody used to fire at a high temperature and then back when they started making electric kilns, they started realizing we really don't have to fire that high and it's really expensive to do so. So, you know, obviously money drives part of it, but, um, so you got your glass formers, you got your fluxes, you got to have something. If you want an opaque clay, a glaze instead of a clear glaze, you have to have something to make it opaque. You got to have colorants, which can be, are usually metal oxides, you know, copper and cobalt and iron and titanium all give you different colors. And then sometimes the combinations of glaze chemicals or materials will make a color of their own. So understanding all of that is important too. And then probably having a, some sort of business background to, you know, make a business plan and figure out where you're going to sell, what you're going to sell, what's selling, what's not selling, how often to sell, how much time you want to dedicate it to it. You want to be part-time or full-time, you know, can you afford to afford your house payments and your three children on <laughs> on selling pots i have one child and i still can't afford to pay for him selling pots so i'm still working but i do this on the nights and weekends and hopefully in a couple of years as i plan to retire it will become my closer to full-time hobby <laughs> i i call that an encore career yes exactly i've had several of those <laughs> yeah as, a, as an artist i'm working far longer hours and much harder for a lot less pay than I did in my corporate days. So, But you enjoy it a lot more, don't you? Exactly, exactly. So, uh, But it's distinctly not retirement. No. And then for me also, because my job can be fairly stress-inducing, I mean, you go home and you turn on the potter's wheel and you throw a lump of clay on it and you have to really, really concentrate on not messing it up. So it becomes almost like a meditation. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if I'm, if I'm a little stressed, if I'm a little wound up about something, I just go out there and work for a couple hours and it's not work. It's just the time goes by and I'm doing stuff and I usually got some good music going on. Um, it's funny because different musics will lend to different things. If I'm listening some older jazz, some something from the fifties, that's fine. If they, if the local jazz station goes into modern jazz, Oh, all of a sudden it's like everything stops working. <laughs> and it's not that I don't like modern jazz. This is just not, it's not conducive to re relaxing. Or, you know, you listen to some old Americana or country Western music or some, some old seventies or eighties music. And it's just, it's sort of a whole different, I, I tend to listen to different things for different parts of the making cycle. Like mm. throwing is usually more, like I said, Americana, some old classic country, some even some Grateful Dead. But trimming, I tend to listen to stuff without words or in a language I don't understand. I have one station I have set up that's it's all uh, either salsa or like West African high life music sort of mixed in. And I don't understand it, so I don't have to listen to it. I like the groove. I like the music. I like the the mood but I don't have to pay attention to the words. And for some reason, because I, I think because I have to pay more attention when I'm trimming after the, after they're made that that works for me. No, I can completely relate to that. Um, when I'm out shooting, 
I have to then um, come back and take the memory card out and upload it to the computer and go through a whole processing of it. And the, um, the mechanical process of it, you know, I may have, you know, some um, prog rock or, you know, something going where I, there's clearly words and things because it's just mechanical and mm -hmm. I just want to have a, a groove going. But then when I get into actually editing it, and they're a real creative process. You really have to pay attention, yeah. It's you know that's that's where the words just completely go away. It's instrumental, um, depending on the mood of the work. The music often matches it. If it's if it's sort of very sort of deep and moody and relaxing, it may be you know some ambient music or something that I'm yeah. listening to. Um, yeah, because I've seen some of your photographs, especially the ones in the fog. That, I mean, some ambient music would go along with them very well yeah yeah so it's it's uh uh it uh, it's interesting every artist i talk to the in the visual space also has a strong connection musically whether mm -hmm. they actually are a musician themselves or they're just more like me an aficionado of music and are have a lot of musician friends but yeah it definitely sets a mood and and sort of and I, I even go out and throw in silence some days, but it's usually something that just sort of keeps the time going mm -hmm. and keeps my mind going while my hands are doing what they do. Yeah. Cause the, the, the throwing part is more, once you learn the, the techniques and the mechanics and the strategies of it, it's more sort of intuitive. So I don't have to pay as close attention to it. Um, but the, the trimming, and texturing and, and things like that and getting into the more fine tuning of it takes a bit more attention because you can really screw it up at that point. <laughs> oh, this has been a, a little great little conversation here. Well, we wind up each episode with some uh, recommendations. Um, mm. What uh, what artists uh, or, or uh, craftspeople should we go out and check out their work? Oh, I've got, I actually made a list here so I could remember because talking off the cuff is not always my strong point. <laughs> um, one local artist I really like is uh, Babette Harvey. She's a, I guess you call it a sculptor. She makes small sculptures and, and scenes of, it's usually children and animals, but there's a, a really kind of whimsical fantasy edge to it. It's hard to describe without seeing a picture, but they're really... They're really evocative, and if you if you see one, you know if you've seen one before, you know it's her, even if it's completely different than the last one. Another local artist is one of the people I first got throwing lessons from. Her name is Kim Merton, and she's more of a hand builder. But she was teaching a class at the the local community center when I first moved up here, and she's she's a has another viewpoint that you just it's immediately recognizable. She started off as a cartoonist and an illustrator and worked in New York on animation and things like that. And then just got into clay and moved out here. But she makes these nice little faces and masks and things. And then she will draw those also onto mugs and cups and bowls. Mm. And now she's getting into textiles. She's making pillows and scarves and, and aprons and things like that. But she is also still illustrating for the New Yorker on a fairly regular basis. But just, 
a great local person who, you know, who does everything and will do anything for you. Well, cool. I think my, the person I pattern myself after the most is a Scottish potter named uh, Hugh McTavish. And he just owns a small one-man pottery up in the, the west coast of Scotland. And he's just all about, all about functional. He comes, he's sort of uh, from the, I don't know if you know who Bernard Leach is. Hmm. He was a, an English potter back in the early part of the last century who went over, he was, well, he was an, um, an illustrator at that point, And he went over to Japan and got hooked on pottery and met a couple people over there and sort of got an, a Japanese influence because that's where he learned it. And then he brought it back to England with one of his Japanese friends and opened a very famous pottery in Cornwall. And basically a lot of the biggest names in British and even in American pottery studied with him at one point or another or worked at that pottery. And he was, um, he, he learned from someone who learned from someone who learned from something. There's a, someone, there's a real tradition over there, the, the leech potters. And it's just their simple, not overly decorated, uh, functional. You could, you could put it on a wall or you could eat off of it. You know, he's, he's a person that I really admire for their sort of their aesthetic and their, and their ethics. He, he, he says, I'm always broke because I probably don't charge enough for my pottery, but I want people to buy my pottery and use it. So I don't want it. I don't want it hanging in a museum. And that's sort of, sort of more of what I'm aiming for. I want for various reasons. I mean, it's nice to buy from local people. It's nice to use handmade things rather than things that were mass produced and bought it. Target or Ikea, but it's also, I mean, if you're using your own stuff, you're not buying plastic. You're not supporting giant big box stores. I try to make sure all my friends have a mug so they don't have to go out and buy something like that or use heaven forbid a single use (laughs) plastic bottles. Uh, I mean, the world has enough plastic. We don't need any more. We need to have people, using things that are not plastic hallelujah hallelujah so that's 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 sort of where i come from all right all right well there's definitely a good list of uh of artists to go check out uh where can our listeners uh check out your stuff i know uh you're on instagram for sure yep i'm on instagram at jim all pottery simple that's what it's called (laughs) Until I retire, which will be in about three years, I will be doing the occasional odd show around here. But mostly I sell to friends and people who bought from me before. I'm not much out on the, the farmer's market or or craft show circuit at the moment because with my job, it's, it's full time. In the last couple of years, there's been a lot of turmoil in the in the industry because of the pandemic and it's just now starting to settle down to where we have enough people i'm not working crazy hours i'm not devoting more time to work than i should 
Yeah, in the next in the next couple of years, I'll definitely be expanding, cutting back my my job workload and expanding my pottery workload. So, but yeah, definitely on Jim All Pottery on Instagram is pretty much where you're going to find me at the at this point, unless you're local, and then you can just look me up and give me a call. Come by. All righty. Well, thanks again for the time, and um, great to get to know your creative story a little bit better. Well, it's nice nice to be here. Thanks for having me on, Chip. And with that, the, we will conclude another episode of the Artist Spotlight. Tune in next time for another conversation with a contemporary artist. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Artist Spotlight with Chip Freund. Find accompanying blog posts at chipfreundphoto.com slash blog. And you may subscribe to our show on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like listening.